Hey, hey, Twisted listeners. Hey, everybody. It is true crime time. We haven't done this in a while. No, it hasn't. We haven't. It hasn't. We haven't. We haven't. It has not happened. No, it has not happened. So, um, did I have to ask, is yours about an Italian lady from long, long ago who makes people into soap? No. Whoa. It is about a female from another country. Oh, okay. Any, any, um, any, any soap involved? No, no soap. Maybe peripherally, but not in any it way. Could be. I'm sure the person used, used soap. soap, but didn't mm-hmm. make soap out of the, you know, the bone marrow or whatever. Yes. And so if you have not listened to our true crime before, <laughs> there was a period of time where Kim was focused. No, true crime seems to seemed for a while to be on. I feel like a lot of them were like Straganona Italian type ladies who murdered their husbands or other people's husbands and turned them into soap. There was only one Italian one. Oh, but, okay. But the other I, women who turned people into soap. Uh, yeah, there, there was, there were a few um, common threads. I would say. Yeah, but that's okay. All right. Do you want to kick yours off first, or do you want me to go first? Um, I'll start. Ah, okay. Okay. So I always have this fear because we do not talk about what we're doing. Um, so I'm always afraid that we have somehow, out of all of the crimes that there are in the world, picked the same one. But there were no like themes to this true crime. Like sometimes no. we're like doing a Halloween themed one or a Christmas themed one. No themes. No themes. So go for it. Let me hear it. So I am talking about Juana Braza. Ken has an obsession with women, (laughs) female, serial, women, female. That's, uh, you know. She was born in Mexico in 1957. And her her dad was a police officer. And um, her mother was an alcoholic prostitute. Um, (laughs) What? (laughs) I, we're not laughing at the alcoholic prostitute. Well, I'm just, that's an interesting um, marriage choice for both of them. An alcoholic prostitute who chooses to marry a policeman and a policeman who chooses to marry an alcoholic prostitute. Well, three months after um, Barraza's birth, Husta or Justa abandoned her husband to begin an adulterous relationship with another man. Oh. And then who was also her stepfather. Was the mother's stepfather or was uh-huh. the, yes. the, mur- the one? This is when, okay, this is Juana as a child. So her parents, okay, Trinidad was a police officer. That was her father. Okay. And Husta was an alcoholic prostitute. Her mother. Barraza, Juana was born. And then Husta left to begin an affair with refugio, refugio Samperio. Okay. He was a married man, but also her stepfather. He was her stepfather. Mm-hmm. This. No, I'm just clarifying that it's not the daughter's stepfather. Cause obviously then that becomes like, well, she, he duh. actually becomes her father. <laughs> he figure. does become her stepfather, <laughs> but he was her mother's stepfather yes. too. It's mm-hmm. not often that you share a stepfather with your mother. No, um, <laughs> they say he became her father figure. Okay. Juana never learned how to read. And of course, it's obvious, not obvious, but it's shocking to see that she had a rocky relationship with her mother. At 12, Baraz's mother sold her for sex, sold Juana. And 
in return for three beers. So this man would, would he assaulted and, and abused Juana for years. Um, her mother died of cirrhosis and she went through a few marriages. She had four children. So during the 80s and 90s, she had a lot of jobs. This is what pulled me into this story. And I, I don't know if what it what it means. <laughs> what it says about right. you? No, yeah. So um, she had a, a variety of jobs and toured Central Mexico as a masked wrestler named La Dama del Silencio, the Lady of Silence. She said that she that was a, that kind of depicted her own shyness and silent personality. So then after, so she is a wrestler. She's in costume and interesting, and she's very manly. So we're going to find out through this that that they either thought that she was a transvestite or transgender because of her build. Very, very okay. large woman. Um, so basically after the birth of her fourth baby, she started stealing from shops, burglar, burglarizing homes. And then she said, hey, I know what. She talked to her buddy, Araceli, and let's steal stuff from the old people, from the elderly. And I'm sh- the two dressed in white clothes and pretended to be nurses in order to get into the homes of elderly people living alone. And she would rob them once they were inside. Her friend Araceli was in a relationship with a corrupt police officer, Mr. Dominguez. And they concocted a plan to deal with Barraza, like extortionate. Is that a word? So this is happening in 1998. Brutal murders of elderly people in Mexico started to increase. Um, so people are like, what's happening? Is this a serial <laughs> killer? Killer. So th- they dubbed the serial killer El Mata Vie- Viejitas, meaning... Um, the killer of elderly. And they said L, E-L, because that means that's a man. So if you put an E-L in front of a name, that mm-hmm. is a man. So they're presuming he, she was a man. Okay, the Mexico City Police did not, they denied any connection between the crimes and a number of people were in prison for some of the murders. They, they it was off their radar that it could be a woman. Mm-hmm. Raza's first victim was Maria de la Luz Gonzalez, Anaya. And she was killed on November 25th, 2002. So she once in her apartment, Gonzalez made comments that Barraza considered derogatory. So basically what happened is she said, um, can I help you bring your groceries in? Okay. okay. And, and so this is how she was like, she would go into parking lots and she would, she would um, approach elderly people and she would ask, can I help you? And of course, some people, and this is what we, we have issues with some elderly people who would say yes mm-hmm. still. So once she got into the apartment, um, this woman said something that pissed off Barraza and she strangled her with her bare hands. She didn't kill anybody for three months and she may have been inspired to do it again by um, the existing stories about her. The crimes increased. By November 5th, 2003, police had enough evidence and witness testimonies to believe that this was a serial killer. And it was a tall person um, who was posing as a city council nurse or social, or social worker to gain victims trust. So the police did not want to make this public. So there was a legal, they didn't want to make it public because it was very political. Um, Mm. And basically they didn't want it to be a weapon in the fight between Mexico's federal government controlled by PAN and the capital city council controlled by PR. They didn't want to make it public because it would offset some of the things that they were trying to do politically. So in the 2006 Mexican presidential election, basically since you've been in office, crimes have increased so they didn't want to put yeah yeah they didn't want to have, right now they said that the murderer was possibly a nurse um this in december 
the police released a wanted poster with two eyewitness sketches of the Mata Viejitas, one more feminine than the other. So there was a lot of different sketches. There was a ton of different sketches of this person. Okay, by mid-2005, Barraza began a relationship with a taxi driver, Jose Francisco, who became her accomplice. Um, So the uh, attacks increased in range and in frequency, and the times when the murders occurred changed from daytime to nighttime. They killed 82-year-old Carmen Camila on September 28, 2005, an upper-class woman and the mother of prominent Mexican criminologist um, Luis Rafael Moreno. So now the police are like, okay, we have to do this. we got to figure this out. So they had officer patrols, pamphlets were out, um, they, dis- they distributed sketches, and um, they even paid elderly women to act as bait and to sit in parks. They said that was very oh. heavily criticized. The police also announced that they were looking for a homosexual man <laughs> transvestite or transgendered and arrested 49 transvestite prostitutes who were all released when their prints oh. didn't match those collected from the crime scenes. Right. The police also requested collaboration from the French police under the belief that the killer is similar to the homosexual serial, serial killer Thierry Paulin, the monster of Montmartre. So the lack of murders after October, they said, okay, she must have, this person must have committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Everything's good. We're all done. Yeah, all safe. Mm-hmm. But in January of 2006, Barraza was seen by a tenant as she left the murder scene of the landlady, Ana Maria de los Reyes Alfaro, and she was arrested by a passing police patrol. They found trophy room with newspaper clippings. Santa Muerte was the saint of death, and she had a lot of these figurines around her house. And Jesus Malverde, they were two folk saints. They were esteemed by Mexican criminals. Barraza was also made to pose next to a bust and eyewitness sketches of the Mata Viejitas, and this was criticized as misleading the public into thinking that police had been on the right trail. Um, she'd been interviewed on a TV program about wrestling just oh. a week before her arrest, all without arising any suspicion in 2008. She killed 30 people. Oh, my. So the convictions evidence. were mostly for murder. She could be tied through fingerprint evidence. Barraza was sentenced to 759 years in prison. Okay, that's that's crazy. So she would approach her victims on the street, knock on the door, pretending to be a city council nurse. She disguised herself so that the elderly people would would trust her. She would gain trust and access to their home. She would say that she could offer a massage, get the medicine. Um, If her victims were distracted, she strangled them directly. If not, she would beat them using moves learned in her wrestling career. Barraza usually strangled her victims manually or with a ligature taken from the victim's home, which she would leave in the crime scene. She would also rob the victims after killing them, mostly for her own gain. But she did keep trophies. So they did profiles. And 40, I'm still on the 49 people they arrested. Like, wow. So police used two yeah. profiles, which contradicted each other. A physical one based on eyewitness accounts described a killer as a man dressed as a woman or a robust woman dressed in white. And a height between. Five six and five seven, robust complexion, light brown, oval face, wide cheeks, blonde hair, delineated eyebrows, and approximately forty five years old. So basically, they were saying that this person was very intelligent. So they were saying this person lived with a grandmother who pissed him off, and that they she, he or she was very very smart because they got away with everything. And I think that's all I've got. Wow, that's absolutely crazy. Yes. All right. So I have a different type of true crime. Mine's more of a mystery, I guess I would say. 
So mine is um is is like called the the like the letters of Circleville. So basically, okay. So we're gonna um step we're gonna step into a like this is 1976 quiet okay. town of Circle the Circleville, Ohio. Um, and it was about to be shaken up by a series of events that were so peculiar and terrifying that it ended up leaving like a mark on its residence forever. So picture this town as your quintessential small town America life here. Like, like I'm imagining like Andy Griffithville, like yes. in a way, okay. um, except, you know, 1976 instead of in the fifties, but like life here moved at a pretty leisurely pace. Neighbors knew your name, but they also knew, like, your grandparents' names and who your family members were. And it was kind of the type of place where it seemed like secrets were really hard to keep. Okay. Or so it seemed until an anonymous letter writer decided to stir the pot, revealing just how deeply the secrets ran. So it began with letters. But not the kind that you'd find comforting. So these letters were written in precise block letters, handwritten, to obscure that author's handwriting. And they started just appearing in mailboxes of the Circleville residents. Okay. And no one was safe. The letters contained accusations of affairs, embezzlements. All kinds of sordid details that really seemed ripped from, like, a soap opera. Not like they could have been happening in real life. Like, not that they could have happened in Circleville. Now, the primary target was a local school bus driver named Mary Gillespie. One of the letters accused her of having an affair with the superintendent of schools. Mm. A claim that she initially denied. Yet, as these letters found their way into more and more hands, the accusations began to grow bolder, and the threats were more sinister. Mm. Um, so her husband, Mary's husband, Ron, actually received a letter, too. And it was a threat against his life if he did not end his wife's affair. Like, end your wife's affair or else. And then one night after a really mysterious phone call that seemed to unveil the letter writer's identity, Ron left his house armed and determined. Mm. But hours later, he was found dead in his truck, crashed into a tree. So officially, it was classified as an accident and that it was caused by drunk driving. Okay. But- Anyone who knew Ron said he was not a drinker at all. And the whispers of foul play began to spread. Okay. But the letters didn't stop at accusations. So in 1983, they escalated to an assassination attempt. A booby trap cleverly rigged to a sign along Mary's bus route was designed to shoot and kill. So her brother-in-law, Mary's brother-in-law, was arrested for this. And a gun found in his possession was said to match the booby trap. And he was convicted, not of the letters, but of the attempt on Mary's life. But the letters continued 
even while he was in prison. Uh. And some were postmarked from Columbus at times where he couldn't possibly have sent them because he was in prison. And so, right. I mean, the, the question was, like, if he wasn't the Circleville letter, who was? who was? And theories began to abound, right? Could there have been multiple authors, each with their own vendetta? Like, somebody, like, jumped on the idea of the letters and turned it into their own circus. Was there a cover-up with the real perpetrator still walking free? Um Possibly someone with inside knowledge of all the town secrets. The letters really unveiled this whole Pandora's box of suspicions, accusations. He was released in 1994 and died in 2012. Like the Circleville letter mystery is still, is still happening. And they don't know who wrote them. They don't know who wrote them. They, uh, but they basically, caused multiple deaths and were just freaky and they still have no idea and what year was this it started in like 75 um, okay. it happened for two decades and they were like so no fingerprints or anything yeah no it says like in the handwriting like some of the notes were like kill them both um you're pushing your luck it was just like Super creepy. It's been on uh, 48 hours. Um, everyone has been trying to unmask who wrote these letters for I bet. two decades. Damn. It knew they knew everything. I would about get so everybody. caught. I'd get caught. Oh, I would too. Somebody quoted is quoted as saying they were vicious and sug- ugly, and someone with severe psychological problems wrote them. I would hazard to guess. Well, and yeah, they, there were hundreds of these letters. Most were postmarked from Columbus, Ohio, about thirty miles north, and like literally, people were. You know how teachers are afraid to open up their email inbox in the morning. Oh, hell yeah! To the point where people were like. Afraid to walk down to their mailbox and get their mail because it could trigger terror. Um, so her letter, um, Mary Gillespie opens the letter. It's an anonymous letter, right? And it's telling her to end the um the affair. The affair. It says, stay away from Massey. Don't lie when questioned about meeting him. I know where you live. I've been observing your house and know you have children. This is no joke. Please take it serious. Everyone concerned has been notified and everything will be over soon. That was the first letter that she received. Um, She received another letter that said, it's your daughter's turn to pay for what you've done. I shall come out there and put a bullet in that little girl's head. Oh, my God. They were being sent to newspapers, elected officials, private citizens, and they're basically all saying the same thing. Basically, Gordon Massey, the superintendent, he needs to be exposed and he needs to be fired. Her husband also, as I've already mentioned, began reading, receiving the letters. Um, And the letters would say like, hey, Mr. Gillespie, your wife is seeing Gordon Massey. You should catch them together and kill them both. I have to say to live that since nobody was killed, or I guess one person was killed or died. Mm, Right. Yes. But that's probably 
one of the best ways to, um, without hurting or harming, um, to threaten someone's children. No, not that, that part. Like if someone's having an affair to send letters like that, I know what you're doing instead of confronting them. That's just my sneaky nature. Yeah. But but not the kids and whatever, but I I could see like writing a letter, but now you could trace it down to the ink or all the things. So. It's like, we know what kind of car you drive. We know where your kids go to school. Oh. And so everything changes. It was August of 1977 when everything changed, when Ron Gillespie got a call late one night. He picks up a gun, gets in his truck, and drives off and told his daughter, I'm going to confront the letter writer. So he was traveling at a high speed. He lost control of his truck. He went off the road, hit a tree, and was killed. Um. And it says, like, was he murdered? They'll never know. Or was it just a freak accident? Or did the letter writer yeah. know that that type of thing could happen? And, you know, it still has a pretty rural character to it. Some of the families are still there. And it said it was a great place to live until it wasn't. Oh, that's an interesting one. We had two very different ones. Very different. I like that we're drawn to different ones. And there will be a time where we do the same one, I guess. I know. Especially, I think, when we're looking for um, a certain genre or time zone Mm -hmm. or like, ooh, it's Halloween. Let's both look for. And yeah. So there will be at one point. Yes. Well, a time. That was fun to do that again. I miss doing that. I mean, I do love our interviews, but I miss doing all these other fun ones. All right, everybody. So true crime time. Hope you enjoyed it and stay twisted, twisted.